Hello, hello, I'm Ferg. I'm Heather, and we are new old friends. It's getting really close to Christmas now, and as far as Inspector O'Ralby is concerned, the murders of Daisy, Marlena, and Cakey are all wrapped up. But Artridge isn't so sure. Cakey! I think I'd make a good detective. What? I think I'd make a good detective, sniffing out clues and chasing leads. In what world would you be a detective? You don't even like playing Cluedo. Yeah, but give me a Mac and Trilby and I'll be well away. All right, yeah, fair enough. Anyway, can you detect what's about to happen? Hashtag Quiz. Ding, 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 correct answer. So, hashtag Quiz. question 21. It's one for the long-time fans. Who did Perry Pink defeat in the final of Wimbledon International Invitational? Ah, well, even I have to think about that one. Uh, anyway, answers via social media or through our website, please. On with Crimes, Clues and Christmas. Ding, ding. Crimes, Clues and Christmas, Chapter 21. I dashed to reach the telephone with what I accept was unseemly speed. But since the official closing of the case at the ballet company, I'd been drifting in a malaise which, in my heart, I knew to be caused by Ms. McConstance. I was pining for her. In fact, such were the intensity of my feelings, I think I might not just have been pining for her, but oaking, ewing, and even hawthorning for her. Whichever arboreal emotion was at play, my heart was pounding as the operator connected me. Hello? She answered, her no-nonsense voice sending shockwaves of delight through my nervous system. Chaz! I blurted out, foolishly. Like a fool. Speaking, who is this, please? Oh, sorry, it's me, Artridge. I'm Artridge. Me, me is Peter. P- Peter Artridge. It's me, Peter Artridge, returning your call. I managed to stop babbling long enough to have an actual fully formed thought. Hang on a tick. How did you know to reach me here at my club? I've tried you at your office the last couple of days and got no answer. She replied, and I had to cover the mouthpiece and stifle a little shriek of delight. She'd been trying to reach me for a couple of days. The same couple of days I'd been in a daze pounding the Christmas decoration-strewn streets of London. Oh, oh, I see, yeah. Sorry about that. I struggled to get myself under control and aim for something approaching French insouciance. I have been visiting with friends. My social calendar is packed, n'est-ce pas? I may have edged too far into Francophilia territory. Are you talking French? Chaz was as bright as she was beautiful. Oh, we. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. I'll stop. How, how did you know which club to find me at, though? Uh, I'm quite proud of myself, actually. I did a bit of detective work myself. Go on, I encouraged. The longer she spoke, the more time I had to get my breathing under control and rid myself of all the French phrases which were suddenly filling my tet, my head. With it being near Christmas, all the various clubs and associations are throwing big winter balls or hosting Christmas dinners for charities, and they all place advertisements in the paper. I remember that you'd been brought in to investigate the ballet's jewel theft by Mr Rawlins because he was also the chairman at your club. So all I had to do was take a look at the advertisements and see which ball or dinner was being hosted by Mr Eldridge Rawlins. Simple. Bloody hell. This woman was incredible. That didn't sound simple at all. It sounded like an awful lot of work. Work she had taken on because she wanted to get in contact with me. Very impressive. I should be employing you, Ms McConstance. Chaz, please, Peter. Oh yes, of course, Chaz. So, Chaz, (laughs) what were you hoping to speak with me about? I do hope you've not been the victim of any art-related crime. Please say no, please say no, please say no. No. Yes! Nothing like that. Then how could I be of service? 
I was just thinking about how much I enjoyed spending time with you when you were around the theatre, and that we hadn't got to say goodbye, really. It all moved very fast once Keiki and Marlena were found. I enjoyed it too. Sorry, not sure if there's something wrong with the line. Did you just say you enjoyed finding Keiki and Marlena? No. Well, yes. I understand why it sounded like that. I meant that I enjoyed spending time with you. Finding them was horrible. That's nice. But finding them was horrible. That you enjoyed spending time with me. Oh, yes. Good. Anyway, I thought perhaps we could meet up and share a little pre-Christmas dinner together, if you're not too busy with your packed social calendar. No, not too busy. Not too busy at all, I said. Possibly too eagerly, but after the French debacle, I wasn't trying to play it cool. A dinner would be lovely. Did you have anywhere in mind? Not really. We could go somewhere simple if you'd like. But I have got this new evening dress I've been wanting to wear someplace nice. Although I'm not sure if it's too risque. It's totally backless, and the slit up the leg is a bit racy. Let's go to the Ritz! I shot out. The Christmas menu there was going to devour the entire cheque I just trousered from Rawlins, but there was something in my trousers telling me that it would be money well spent to see Chasma Constance in a backless dress with a risque leg line. My treat! I insist. The Ritz? Peter, isn't that a bit too fancy? Not a bit of it. You wear this little trifle of yours, and I'll stick on the old soup and fish, and we'll make a night of it. What do you say? I say it sounds wonderful. Tomorrow evening it is. Do you think you can get a table at such short notice? It is almost Christmas. I hadn't thought of that. But I was too far in now. You let me worry about that, Chaz. Peter Archridge is not an unresourceful man. I'll swing by and pick you up in a taxi at seven. See you then. I hung up the phone, and the dark cosiness of my club, with cigar smoke hanging in the air and the sound of the old boys' ice clinking in their scotch and sodas, faded away, and I was in a nirvana of strawberry blonde hair, clever eyes and playful smiles. I fancy I could even hear heart music drifting in from somewhere, which seemed a tad unlikely given that the closest the club ever got to any form of musical recital was old Windy Weatherby and his ability to perform the national anthem with flatulence. The combination of the thought of Windy Weatherby's party piece and a sudden remembrance that my amorous assignation was to take place at the Ritz and I didn't have a reservation roused me from my reverie. Wilson. Wilson is the man for such occasions. I made a beeline for the games room. Hoey, Artridge man, you're looking better. I see the shapes have aligned, he said with a wink. I asked Clancy Bustleton Jones what tessellation meant. They are aligning, Wilson, good chap. They are aligning. I do, however, need a hand giving the old jigsaw a final nudge to completion, though. I saw by Wilson's face I had perhaps stretched the metaphor a little thin, and he was concerned I was inviting him into some sort of ménage et toi, the like of which I'm fairly sure Florence Rawlins was busily setting down in her memoirs, possibly involving members of European nobility. I aimed to set his mind at ease. For the avoidance of doubt, I just need a hand securing a table for a date, Wilson. The barkeep looked thoroughly relieved. Almost insultingly so, actually. A chap would be lucky to be invited into any Artridge McConstance union. I'd half a mind to say something. Luckily, the other half stepped in and stopped me from being half-witted. All right. When are we talking, sir? Well, here's the rub. Tomorrow night, actually. Eee, short notice, close to Christmas is going to be a hell of a job, that. But I'm sure I can pull some strings and find you somewhere nice. I'm afraid the challenge gets steeper still. Steeper? Yes. The lady in question may have got the impression I've connections at the Ritz and could secure us a table for two there tomorrow night, around half seven. Whatever gave her that idea? Well, I did, Wilson. I was somewhat overcome with the moment, you have to understand. He poured us both a measure of decent scotch. I need thinking juice. These are going to go on your tab, Mr. Artridge. Absolutely, Wilson. If it helps the cogitation organ sup away. Cheers. We clinked glasses and put down the drafts in one. Anything doing? One more, I think. 
Out came the cork and up rose the leather in the glasses once more. Quite right. Here's one in your eye. Up go the glasses, down goes the scotch. Actually, Wilson, I think three's a better number, don't you? Aye, why not, sir? Good health. Good health. Three drinks down in short order, and suddenly my situation vis acquiring a table at the Ritz didn't seem so daunting. The scotch clearly had the same equanimific effect on Wilson, as he clicked his fingers and said, Wahee, man! I tell you, I've fettled this or I'm gannin' micey! A combination of vowel and consonant sounds, which even the most able codebreaker would surely be dumbfounded by. It definitely proved too much for me. I'm awfully sorry, Wilson, old chap. I don't speak, um, northern. What are you saying? I've got a plan, Mr. Artridge. I have a friend who works the bar at the Ritz, and he owes me a favour after I helped him win the heart of one of the visiting singers they sometimes have there. I swung the whole thing so he looked like a prince, and by the time she found out he was a pauper, it was too late and she was head over heels in love with him. He'd move heaven and earth for me. You can rest easy. The table is yours. Wilson asked me to mind the bar, which seemed reasonable enough given that I'd suborned him as my personal concierge. So I stepped behind and he tottered off to call his princely friend at the Ritz. No sooner had he disappeared when Clancy ambled up to the bar and asked for a glass of port for digestive purposes. Coming right up, Clancy, old chum, I said, and whipped a tea towel over my shoulder so as to look the part. I selected the correct glassware, gave it a polish with my cloth and sloshed a decent measure of the life-restoring maroon stuff in. Shall I mark it down in the book or are you paying cash, sir? I asked, at which point Clancy did a double-take worthy of the greatest vaudevillians. I say, uh, is that Artridge back there? A thing so bad with your investigation racket you've had to resort to this? <laughs> you should have come to me. I'm sure I can wangle your management position at Bustleton Jones Clothes Hangers. Are you aware of the inner workings of a clothes hanger? I dare say I'd get the hang of it, Clancy Old Bean, but fear not. I've not yet stooped to the service trades. <laughs> I'm just standing in for Wilson while he sorts out a situation for me. Clancy's eyes lit up with respect and admiration. Of a romantic nature, no doubt. Wilson is a magician. A positive magician, I tell you. You're in safe hands. So, who's the lucky lady, then? Tell me all the juicy details. Clancy, you know a gentleman never tells. But, making a clean breast of it, I've not had the pleasure of our first date. I very hope Wilson is securing that as we speak, and day after next I'll have something good to not tell you. Good man. At this point... I become aware I was rather failing in the prime function of a good barman. Yes, I deliver the booze promptly and with a certain panache, but what really sets apart the coming man in drink-serving circles is his ability to listen to the problems of his clientele. Not everyone can aspire to the heights to which Wilson has ascended and become the de facto fixer of feminine Farragos for half of London, but I felt I should at least open the discourse up for Clancy to offload anything that might be on his mind. So it followed that he'd launched into a deep discourse on the fluctuations of the clothes hanger business and the perilous impact of cheap wire-framed contraptions flooding the market. It was all I could do to keep my eyes open and make sympathetic noises. I mean, I'm an empathetic chap, but it's hard to feel too much sympathy for a blighter like Clancy, who, not only was he born rolling in the stuff, had the bad form to take his wife, the only daughter of a family wealthier than his own. Thinking of wives as I was, I couldn't help but find my thoughts returning to the vision of loveliness that is Chasma Constance. As a result, I greeted Wilson's return with a little yelp of excitement. Oh, sorry to interrupt, Clancy. I'm sure you'll send them packing. The better sort are always going to want handcrafted cherry wood hangers with monogrammed pine inlay, surely. It'll shake out just fine. Now, if you don't mind, I'm eager to hear what young Wilson has to report. Oh, yes, of course. Push on. I hastened over to the other end of the bar, where Wilson had sat himself into my customary chair. So, I opened. Hoi. Aye, go on then. One more. Thank you, Artridge. 
Any irritation I may have felt was easily quashed given the favour this knight of the bar had hopefully just performed for me. I turned to grab the bottle and poured out a generous measure for my emissary. I've good news and bad news, I'm afraid. I'm braced for both. The good news is my friend can get you a table, but not until 10pm. Is that all? You're a saint, sir. Thank you. I'm sure I can come up with something diverting to fill the evening from seven until then. Little did I know that fate already had something in store for those hours, and it was hardly the ideal preamble to a romantic dinner. Crime Clues and Christmas is a New Old Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woods Dunlop and Heather Westwell, with sound and music by Fred Riding. New Old Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. <laughs>